In the year A.D. 50, approximately 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, uh, there's a guy named Paul, uh, formerly known as Saul, who wrote to the church of Thessalonica in the area of Macedonia. And he says, hey, listen, I just want to, to let you know that your faith is being heard all across the area of Macedonia and Haya, and it's going around the world, like it's going around the earth. And he said these words to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and following. He says, For they, those that report about them, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What Paul was writing in those times, he says, listen, your faith has gone out like the trumpet sound. It has gone out among others, and it is spreading, and they cannot stop talking about how you love God in your everyday life. Like you have made him famous. And as he writes to these people, these are new believers who have been persecuted to some degree. They're scattered um, in a lot of ways in, in terms of what it is that... Uh, they're dealing with and wrestling with but here it is they've been faithful in their everyday life over the course of the last 11 weeks we've been talking about God in our everyday lives and we've just taken a series of topics and, and kind of explored them and we've talked about what it looks like to center our hearts our mind our soul our strength on God as we talked about reading God's word and discerning it uh, what it looks like to be prayerful in all of our decisions. And then from there, we just began to kind of move out, kind of a concentric circles. We started here in the center, and we just kind of began to move it across our lives. And we've talked about what it looks like to honor God in our everyday life as parents, uh, in our marriage. Uh, we've talked about what it looks like to live in singleness, how we would love our neighbors, and how we would serve our neighbors. Uh, we've talked about what it looks like to honor God um, in our workplace and what it looks like to approach God, uh, work in a godly way. We've talked about what it looks like to make godly decisions that please him in our everyday life and just all of these different things. And today we want to talk about how we find fulfillment through God in our everyday lives as it results in leisure or hobbies. I don't know that I've ever really talked about this subject in all of the years of ministry but as we've just kind of explored this uh, idea many months ago, we just thought, you know what, it's worth talking about because there's so many of us who we can approach our leisure time in, in good ways and then probably in sometimes unhealthy ways. But when we think about just this idea and delighting in God's good, good gifts around leisure, we obviously have tons of different areas of leisure, right? Uh, and that looks differently for some of us. Uh, for a lot of people in here, like leisure just means rest. Like, I'm busy, I'm tired all the time, I just want to nap. And that's what you think leisure is. Um, for some of you, it's like, I just want a bath and a glass of wine. That's leisure. Uh, for others, though, it's, it looks differently, right? So uh, if you're a young person in the room, that might be like some sports uh, or cheerleading. Uh, if you're older, it could be sports as well, but it might change a little bit. It could be golfing, it could be soccer, it could be tennis, it could be racquetball. Maybe you're into the new thing, right? Pickleball. Uh, it's kind of making its, its, its uh, realm across the state and the nation. Uh, but perhaps it's hunting or fishing. Maybe it's sewing or quilting. Uh, maybe it's jogging. Maybe it's working out. Maybe it's skiing or climbing mountains. Uh, perhaps it's 
gardening, putting your hands in the soil. I, I don't know. There's a ton of different things, right? Um, <clears throat> maybe it's playing bunko with your friends. In all of these things, you would say, well, okay, what is my hobby? What is my leisure time? And I would say for all of us, it might look a little differently. But the question you got to ask yourself is, is, is that something that we should enjoy? And, and then more than that, how do I put it in perspective in my everyday life? And so today, uh, I, in a few moments, I want to just give you three things to consider as it relates to hobbies. And I want to ask you four areas to kind of ponder on as it relates to how you would determine if your hobbies are honoring God in your life or if there needs to be some navigating. Before we jump into that, I want to welcome those that are joining us online on our Edgewood campus. We're so glad to have them hanging out with us today. And we're also equally as glad to have you hanging out with us today. So we're glad you're here. And we're going to dive in. And the first thing you need to know that I believe the scripture is very clear about, and that is that hobbies or leisure is indeed a very good gift from God. It's a good gift from God. Matter of fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Like we know that God says, if there is something good in your life, it's from me. If there is something that was perfect gift, he goes, it's from me. Now, what's interesting, though, is that if you were to take that verse alone, then you could apply that. And you go, okay, everything, good and perfect gift is from above, but then you wouldn't necessarily see any warning. But just above that, James actually writes a handful of warnings. He actually says, he says, hey, let no one be deceived. He goes, you just need to know God cannot be tempted. And more than that, God also does no tempting. Why? Because there is no evil within God. So God doesn't tempt anyone. But he also says, he goes, listen, if you need to know that if you have been deceived or if you've been lured away, he says, you need to know that began in you. So he says, if you are being deceived or if you are being tempted, he goes, that started with you. It gave birth in you and it grew in you until ultimately you gave into the temptation and it grew to sin and that sin brings forth death. Then right after that, he goes, but don't worry, every good and perfect gift is from above. Why does he say that? Well, the context of what we're talking about, here's what you need to know, is that while every good and perfect gift is from above, every distortion of a good and perfect gift is from below. So if God gives good and perfect gifts, the question is, is who is it that distorts the good and perfect gift? God says, it's not me. So where is the distortion of a good thing? Where does it begin? In us. Now, let me ask you a question. Friends, can you and I take something good and distort it pretty quickly? Does our culture seem to do that? Well, a handful of weeks ago, when we talked about the idea of marriage and then the next week, singleness, one of the topics that we mentioned was just around this three-letter word called sex. And sex is a good gift, a good gift of procreation, a good gift of celebration within the proper confines of a marriage relationship. But we know that our culture can tend to take something that's a good gift and distort it. And we talked about how oftentimes in the context of our culture, you could take that one good celebratory thing that God gave us, and you can see how in our culture we can either make it a God or we can make it gross. You take sex, you make it a God, and you pervert it. You pursue it in ways that are not meant to be celebrated, and it, it'll bring about death. 
It gives birth in you. You, you give into the temptation, and it brings about a myriad of problems in a person's life. At the same time, if we're not careful and we distort even the goodness of the gift that God gives us in marriage and in particular in that relationship for procreation and for just the idea of enjoyment, if you make it gross, you teach your kids, hey, stay away from that because that's a bad thing. You don't ever want to do that. In some ways, you just miss the whole picture. And the reason that's important is because if we're not careful, we can do that with a myriad of things in our life, including leisure. Matter of fact, the Puritans back in the day, they saw themselves as devoting themselves to work. And oftentimes they did not devote much time to leisure at all because they saw leisure as something that would in some ways take away from the most noble task, which would be honoring God in worship and in work. Well, I would tell you is I think there's a pattern that has been given throughout time that you and I should enjoy and celebrate the good gifts that God has given us. And that relates to every good thing from above. Matter of fact, think about just creation. God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he did what? Hey, so my head is kind of clogged up. I can't hear you, so let's try it one more time. He did what on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. Now, what's interesting is, is you can take what God did in creation, you could also overlay that within Jesus' ministry. In Jesus' ministry, you would oftentimes see he, do, he does miracles and he does work and then he, he, he withdraws. And in multiple times, you would see Jesus go to a desolate place and pray after he had done a series of miracles or he had done something significant. He'll go and he'll, he'll work and then he'll, he'll, he'll remove himself. And it's kind of this idea of oscillating between work and rest. And you and I see that there's kind of a pattern displayed in creation and you see it in even Jesus' ministry. Hey, you work hard and then you have a little bit of time to rest. And if not careful, we can take this good gift that God has given us and we can even flip that. But just consider this. In uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, this is what it says about Jesus after he had just fed the 5,000, the multitude of people. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And so you see that, hey, there's a good pattern. It's work hard and then rest some. But the question you got to ask yourself as you rest and you think about the oscillation between work and rest is, is what I'm doing in my leisure time. Is it bringing about real rest? Is it honoring God? Does it please him? Does it celebrate him as a good expression to what he's done? And those are the things that we're going to take note of. If if we are thankful for the good gifts that God gives us in leisure, are you thanking him for that? And more than that, what are you doing with your leisure time? And so that brings us to point number two. If hobbies are a good gift from God, friends, our hobbies should reflect the glory of God. Now, you might ask yourself the question, well, what do you mean? How does, how does tennis reflect the glory of God? Or pickleball, for that matter. How does anything we do reflect the glory of God? Well, I would say this. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says something very significant. Here's what he says. So, whether you eat or drink, or, he says, whatever you Now, I would just take that phrase, whatever you do, and I think you could apply that to whatever you do. Whatever, if you drink or you eat or hey, whatever you do, if it's tennis or it's hockey or 
I don't know that anybody plays hockey here, so that's probably a bad example. Hunting, fishing, sewing, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of what? Interesting phrase. There's two there. Whatever you do, and you do it for the glory of God. Which then you have to ask the question, is my hobby, is my leisure time for the glory of God? Or is it for the glory of self? Is my leisure time, is it drawing me near to God? Or is in some ways, is it allowing me to suppress the things that God wants me to deal with and remove myself in some ways and be more distant from God and from other things? Because the way that we approach leisure is very significant. We oftentimes approach leisure in a way as Americans as a means to get away from something as opposed as a means to draw nearer to someone. And in our leisure time, we oftentimes approach it as an opportunity for us to take a break. But I would just say, consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he says, hey, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When Jesus says these words, hey, seek me and my kingdom first, then all these other things will be added to you. The idea, the in- The imperative here is pursue him totally in work, in vocation, in marriage, in parenting, in hobbies. And all these other good things will be added to you. The challenge is, is that we oftentimes approach these areas in the wrong way. And I think hobbies is one of those things that we approach oftentimes in a very skewed way. Now, what do I mean by that? I think if not careful, our hobbies can be centered more around us than around the glory and the reflection of God. And it simply is because hobbies oftentimes are a means of escaping something. It's a means of resting or finding satisfaction or comfort in something that is cheap. What I mean by cheap means it's a substitute when God says there's something better. And so what I want just to encourage you to think about as it relates to your hobbies is, are you being a Nimrod or are you following God? It's a great question. Am I being a Nimrod or am I following God? Now you might even wonder, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, so Nimrod is a guy who's mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. He's the son of Cush and he actually creates the city of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, in that city, there's a group of people, nations, that they come together as people and they leave as nations, but they say, hey, let us make a name for ourselves. We're gonna build a tower to heaven. And they come together and they make a tower to the, to the, the heights of heaven. And they say, hey, we're doing this lest we make a name for ourselves. And it is there in Genesis chapter 11 that God teaches Nimrod and all of these people a lesson as he disperses them throughout the earth. I believe wholeheartedly in Genesis chapter 11 is where we get ethnicities. It's where we get languages because God takes this group of people who says, hey, I'm gonna make a name for me. And he goes, let me show you who's really in charge. Now, I think if you're not careful, we can take a good gift in hobbies, one that's meant to reflect the, the glory of God, and if not careful, we can become nimrods, and we can make a name for ourselves even, even in our hobbies. For instance, maybe you love to garden. 
Maybe you love to have a very nice kept yard, but maybe your motivation, if you were living in the Metroplex, would be to be yard of the month. Or maybe it's that you're, you want your neighbors to applaud you or celebrate you, or you want to be doted over simply because you are known as being clean and kept. Or perhaps you go around hunting or fishing or archery. Maybe it's that you want to be known as the best in those categories. I don't know what it happens to be that you are centered around, but the question that you got to ask yourself is, is are the hobbies that I enjoy reflecting the glory of God or are they reflecting something less than that? And if they are, then you have to ask some serious questions. Which brings me to the point. If hobbies are a good gift from God that are not to be distorted, then, and, and we, we should in a lot of ways reflect that even in creation and Jesus' ministry, the question I would ask you this is, do y'all know why God rested on the seventh day? Have you ever asked that question? Why did God rest on the seventh day? Now, let me ask you another question. Why do you rest on the seventh day? Or on the sixth day? Or on the fifth day? Or on the fourth day? Why is it that you desire rest every day? And your answer would be, because I'm busy. And I'm tired. And I feel like I just never stop. And I just want to stop. And I just want to take a nap. But I just want, I just want you to be aware of something. That's not why God rested on the seventh day. God did not rest on the seventh day because he was merely tired, friends. God rested on the seventh day because his work was complete. It was finished. Which gives whole new meaning to the words of Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished. See, the reason that I think hobbies or leisure time is a good gift from God is because it reflects his good nature. And the reason that we should enjoy those things is because it allows us not to find rest in a hobby itself, but rest in the final and completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you can approach hobbies as a means to celebrating Christ's death on the cross, it frees you up from desiring comfort or satisfaction or hope from what I would call a lousy God, which we'll talk about more in a second. See, the reality is, is in Hebrews chapter four, the final rest is in Christ Jesus. Everything other than that is a cheap substitute. It will not pan out. It will not fulfill. And so maybe for you, you're like, I can't wait to get away on a cruise ship to Cosmel. Or maybe I can't wait to get away on this vacation. Or I can't wait to get away to ski. Or I can't wait to get into, the, you know, into my woodworking shop. I can't wait to, to get outside on the basketball court. I can't wait to get to the gym to relieve my stress. Listen, any of those answers do not suffice simply because they're cheap substitutes to the Savior who says, you have found final fulfillment and rest in the cross. And so when Jesus says the words, it is finished, he's helping us realize that we don't find fulfillment in anything other than him. Which brings whole new meanings to the words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. You've heard these words probably before, and if not, I'll explain them for you real quickly. But Jesus says these words. He says, come to me all who weary and are heavy laden. And he says, and I'm gonna give you rest. And then he says something interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and, and you will find rest for your what? You'll find rest for your souls. 
And then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when he says these words, I think it's important for you to note a couple of things. One, he says, come to me if you're tired or you're weary, you're heavy laden. Why is he saying that? Because he goes, you're not gonna find rest in your hobby, in your leisure time. You'll only find rest when you come to me. Busy work week, challenging, stressful moments, dealing with things that are stacking up against you. He goes, decrease and I'll increase. Come to me. And then he says, I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now that yoke there was literally a yoke that you would put on an oxen or you would put on a donkey or a mule or horse. And it was simply to pare them down, to have them plow a field or to do work. It was a laborious task. He goes, take that upon me. But he goes, but my yoke is different. My yoke, which would be his teachings, which would be his ministry, which would be who he desires to be in your life. He goes, my yoke is what? It's gentle. It, it's, it's easy. It's, it's burden is light. He goes, I'm not trying to make a cumbersome load on you. He goes, I'm trying to lighten your load. I'm trying to give you rest which kind of gives a new meaning to even what the prophet Jeremiah was saying to the people of Judah. Judah was the southern nation of of Israel that had split off. Their hearts were far from God. But Jeremiah, the prophet, he said these words in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll come back around to Jesus' words. This is what he said. He says, thus says the Lord. He says, stand by the roads and then look. And then he says, now ask for the ancient path. Now, here's what I look at. I think about Dorothy and Toto and the Wizard of Oz. And I think about them looking for a path, right? And you follow the, you follow the yellow brick road. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think about the yellow brick road. You take the ancient path. You look, and then what do you do? You follow. He says, you take the ancient path of what Jeremiah said to Judah with their wondering heart, their hearts finding fulfillment and other things other than God, he goes, look, you, you stand at the crossroads. He goes, you can go this way or you can go this way. He says, now look for the ancient path. He says, where the good way is. And then he says these words, and walk in it. Now, real quickly, he doesn't say, stop in it. He doesn't say, stand in it. He doesn't say, be lazy in it. He says, Look for the good path where the old, pain, uh, the old ancient way is. And then he says, walk in it. Make sense? And he says, and when you walk in it, you'll find rest for your souls. Now, why does he say that? Because what I want you to realize is this, finding fulfillment and satisfaction in God is not a passive rest. It's an active one. He says, walk in it. To which they replied, we will not walk in it. When Jesus says, come to me, weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What he's saying is, is embrace me. Find fulfillment and satisfaction in me. Quit quit going after cheap substitutes in which you think allow you to have leisure. Friends, if your leisure brings about apathy or laziness or slothfulness, it's not walking in an active pursuit of the final rest in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you can't take a nap, 
But if the nap is your ultimate fulfillment, then you're missing the complete work of Christ and you're not walking in the ancient path. Make sense? So here's what I want you to realize. Hobbies are a good thing, particularly when you maximize hobbies for their intended purpose. When they reflect the glory of God in your life and you use them in the correct way. The challenge is, is if you're like me, hobbies oftentimes are used in an incorrect way. And so point number three is hobbies make a very lousy God. They just make for cheap substitutes. They are, they are just merely mirages to something better. They won't satisfy, they won't complete you, they won't ultimately give you long final fulfillment. They might give you a satisfactory sense of something in the near term, but long term it'll be empty. And it'll oftentimes leaving you paying more than you really needed to. And so here's what I would say is the words of Tim Keller. He says, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. It's why the very last words of John in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he says, hey, little children, keep watch, lest you fall into idols. See, what happens is we take God's good gift, an expression of who he is, and if not careful, we'll distort it and we'll make it a lousy, cheap substitute that doesn't satisfy. Which is why Ezekiel was told by God to tell the elders of Israel what they had done. And so in Ezekiel chapter 14, um, the elders of Israel come to him and they are inquiring of him about what God is doing. And this is the response that Ezekiel was told by God to give the elders of Israel, which had come to him one time earlier in Ezekiel chapter 8. And their hearts were far from God, apparently, because this is the response that God says, Ezekiel, tell these men, these leaders in Israel, which is the northern area. Judah was the southern that Jeremiah was talking to. Ezekiel's talking to the northern tribes. And this is what he says. He says, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and they've set a stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Meaning, do you think I should listen? Should they be able to approach me if their hearts are being consumed by idols? He says, therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him as he comes with multitudes of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. So he goes, I've set a standard. I've given the ancient path. I've helped Israel and Judah walk in it. Their hearts have wandered often after other things. They were cheap substitutes. They didn't fulfill. They were strange and foreign women. They were fertility gods. There were things that did not add up and their hearts are there. Now they want to inquire of me. They want something from me. He goes, I can't give it because their hearts are estranged from me. So friends, that's the picture here. He goes on, he says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. 
for anyone in the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. And I will make him a sign and a byword and a cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. He goes, when you take my intended purposes and you distort them, then you want to come back to me? He goes, I will make a sign of you. A mockery of you is what he told Ezekiel to tell these, elderly, these elders within the land. Now, why does that matter? It matters because if you and I would claim to be Christ followers, and we would say we've been redeemed by the cross of Christ, and we find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, then it means that we've got to be careful to not let anything rule the throne of our heart above him including our leisure, our hobbies, our comfort, and our security, that we should find true fulfillment in him. And then, listen, we need to be able to notice when we're letting something good become a lousy God. Does that happen from time to time? Yes, it's happened in my life. Friends, I will tell you that one of the things that stumbles up in my life more than anything else is a desire for comfort. It's just a desire to say, man, wouldn't it be easier to do something else? Pastoring is hard. And listen, I don't say that because your work's not hard. I would presume to believe there are times in your life where you're like, I wish I could do something different. Like to in some ways have a more leisurely, a little more comfortable life. Like, isn't that true? Like at the end of the day, wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't have to have jobs or work? Or we could just stay home and just be lazy and slothful all the time? Like in some ways, like, yes, we could just get up and do what we want. Oh, awesome. And that's something that I have to protect against. And if not careful, it'll rule my heart. So as I think about comfort and leisure and hobbies, I just started asking myself some really good questions. And I just wanna ask those questions to you. I want you to ponder these. And I would presume to believe that you can't answer them all in this sitting. And so I would encourage you this week, to grab a copy of them, take a picture of, of maybe the, the initial question. I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions under that initial question, but you could grab the sermon notes tomorrow through the Stone Point News and just ponder on them and just ask some questions. And this will help determine, is, is the leisure and the hobbies that I enjoy, is it a good gift from God? Is it reflecting him in what I do? Or is it becoming a lousy God? And is it ruling in a place in my heart that maybe shouldn't? So here's some good questions. What I would call personal reflection. My first question would be, what is your motivation in your leisure, in your hobbies? Okay, so you <laughs> desire to hunt or fish or ride ATVs or RTVs. You wanna go camping, you wanna do scrapbooking, you wanna play bun bunko, wanna go golfing, soccer, basketball, pickleball, shopping. You wanna play video games till you're late at night. You want to do carpentry or stained glass? Okay. You want to do gardening, canning, cooking? Fantastic. Sewing, quilting, skiing, climbing mountains, mowing the yard, restoring old cars or vehicles? Great. You want to do cheer? You want to mindlessly scroll through social media because that just is something you like to do? Fantastic. Why? Why do I do it? What's my motivation? Is it an escape? Is it a means to provide some form of comfort? Is my leisure in some ways allowing me to, to 
move away from another responsibility? Is there a good picture of oscillation between work and rest? Is there more rest and there should be more work? Is there not enough rest at all? Good question to ask. Does your hobby promote laziness? Does it in some way bring about slothfulness in your life? Meaning, is it a waste of your time? Or can you see a satisfactory sense of not only rest and accomplishment, but a reflection of God in true rest? Does your hobby reflect God at all? Does it honor God? Does it bring true enjoyment and satisfaction? And if it does reflect God, then you have to move to the question of, if it's reflecting God, then question number two, how are you using your time? More than that, have you examined the use of your time around your hobbies at all? For instance, if you have a hobby, let's just say that it's racing cars or it's scrapbooking, or maybe it's making t-shirts. How much time do you spend around that hobby? Is it excessive? Now you've got to determine, well, what's excessive? Okay, well, where does it fall on the list of priorities? More than that, when you're not at work, what is it that saturates your mind? Is it that particular thing? And if so, then you've got to start asking yourself question, well, if it is meant to reflect God's glory and his goodness, then whose glory and goodness is being promoted? A great question around this, which I think is super convicting, is as you enjoy leisure and hobbies, who is, who is being sacrificed? Meaning, is there self-sacrifice in your hobby? Now, when I say self-sacrifice in your hobby, the question you've got to ask yourself around every hobby is who is being sacrificed as I escape to do my leisurely things? In some ways, where am I leaving the burden? Who am I leaving the burden with around work? Or home? Or the church? And so just as you think about modeling self-sacrifice, I got three questions for you. Does your leisure come before God? Do you spend more time serving God and honoring God? Or do you spend more time doing your leisurely things? The second question is, is does it come before the church? Could you look up and say, well, I spend way more time doing leisurely things than I do even serving within the local church. The third thing is, is does it sacrifice your family? What responsibilities at home could you potentially abdicate because you desire leisure or rest? And so I think for me personally, I'm just giving you, giving you an example is that I have to think through that. Particularly one of the things that I enjoy doing is deer hunting. And as I think about reflecting the glory of God in deer hunting, there's a multitude of ways that I can do that. I can sit in a deer stand early in the morning. I have no real desire to, to hunt simply because that's work. But what I do enjoy is I enjoy in the early mornings enjoying a hot cup of coffee I love watching the warm breath of my lungs meet the cold, cool, crisp air as I see the smoke go up, clouds the glass windows. I love the warmth of my furnace. I love as the sun comes up that I see the beauty and the handiwork of God's hands. 
I love as I watched creation from the birds singing in the mornings to ducks flying in to watching deer and animals roam as I watch a bobcat come in front of me. I enjoy those things. I think they reflect the glory of God in creation. But friends, where it can be a challenge for me is if deer hunting rules my life, if it becomes before God because every weekend I'm gone and I no longer have time to serve God or my church family, if it takes away from not only my family but also adds a burden or expense, then I gotta start asking the question, where is it ruling the place in my life? Now, am I saying that a deer lease is bad? No. But am I saying that it can make a lousy God? Yes. And can that be true for any hobby in our life? Yes. It can. So I would just say, as it relates to a hobby, you've got to make sure you examine the use of your time. Colossians 4, Paul says that to the church of Colossae. Hey, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, as I apply that just to the sense of hobbies, it makes absolutely no sense that I would claim to tell my neighbor how much I love God, and then I do not live for God, I don't serve God in the local church, and I'm abdicating the response of my family because I'm not redeeming my time wisely. Do those add up? They don't. And so I think it's some good questions to ask, which then brings me to another one, potentially the most difficult question that I'll ask today, and that is, is your spending exorbitant around your hobby? Now, when I ask that question, I would ask this first question, do you even know how much you spent on your hobbies? I would reckon that if I asked you how much you spent on groceries this last month, you couldn't tell me. You might have a figure, but I would say most Americans aren't paying attention to their finances as it relates to even the meals we eat or the money we spend in categories. I would reckon to believe that most of us could tell us, have no idea what we spend on our hobbies. If you were to go calculate all the Hobby Lobby receipts, you would be astounded probably. The question that I would have is, do you even have fear in going and adding those things up? If you would say, well, I couldn't find all the receipts, that would be too exorbitant. It would be too much work. That's probably a sign that you have too many receipts. Now, I say that not to make you feel guilty, but just to bring about the realization that God does care. And the reason he cares is because of words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 19 through 21. When he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then he says these words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You've got to contemplate what Jesus means. What does he mean? And you might think, oh, he's talking about not building just a kingdom, a big house and nice cars. No, I think he's talking about every area in our life. I would presume to believe that somebody could rip off your gun collection and your coin collection as a hobby just as easy as they you could face conviction over a big house or two nice of cars. The reality is Jesus talking about all of it because the last sentence of what Jesus says here is what matters. And I wanna put it for you up on the screen so you can see it. And I want you to ask the question, do I even believe what Jesus says? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you even believe that? And does that matter? Because if it does matter, then you've gotta ask questions around this. And the question you got to ask yourself is, Lord, if I was paying attention to my heart and my heart led me to my wallet book, would my wallet book care about things other than you, other than the local church, 
other than the, the areas that they should care about? And if so, Lord, should that, should that be a telltale sign that I might should do something different? Now, listen, here's what I want you to hear. I told you I like to go deer hunting. I would presume to believe that over the course of a year, I'm probably going to spend between $1,000 and $1,500 total on deer hunting. Just so you kind of have an idea, for us, it's something that I have to save up for. So, like, that's birthday money, that's Christmas money. It's not just, hey, it comes through and I'm a bread maker, bread, like, no, it's something that I sacrifice for. I look at it in the view of this is that if I'm going to enjoy leisure, it can't necessarily take away and sacrifice other areas in our family. And so I want to teach my kids the same thing. Hey, you desire to have a new video game? There's got to be some buy in there. Like, I'm not going to just buy it. Maybe we help, we work for it. There's got to be a level of self-sacrifice. But friends, what I would tell you as it relates to these things is that there is something that can't be sacrificed and that is God and his kingdom. Because if you sacrifice God and his kingdom, then you're taking a good gift he gave you and you're distorting it. It's not, you, you can't say, well, I enjoy my hobby and then in some ways cheat God and his kingdom and say that it's not an idol and that it is indeed a good expression of God's gifts. Make sense? And so it's just something to think through. Ponder it, pursue it. Am I saying you shouldn't have hobbies? No. Am I saying that those hobbies shouldn't take up a meaningful part of your life? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is that those hobbies should not distort, detract, or take away from what God desires for you to be about in your life. Which brings me to the last question is, is in your hobby, do you maintain self-control? Now, when I think about self-control, I think about the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and following. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The last one, which Paul goes on to say, he says, for against such things there is no law. Now, when he uses that word self-control there, he literally means to have control. It's the idea of being alert, to be awake to what's going on. And, and basically, if you and I have self-control in our hobbies, then the question you got to ask yourself is, does my hobby cause me in some ways to change something around my countenance? Am I guarding my mind when I'm doing my hobby? Okay, now obviously, I don't know exactly what your hobby is. I've shared one of mine with you, okay? And I have a few but one of them is deer hunting. But I want to just ask you real quickly, just as it relates to me. As a pastor, I go hunting once, once a year. It's about a week. I'm gone. When I'm gone, is it okay for my countenance to change? Is it okay for my language to change? So as I'm sitting around the campfire with a bunch of guys on my deer lease, should I look differently? Can I take my pastor hat off and set it to the side? So if I'm golfing with some buddies, is it okay for me to become inebriated and in some ways foolish simply because I'm playing with them in a tournament and they're old college buddies? Like at what point in our hobbies do we say, hey, this is a glorious gift from God, but I can't lose my countenance and more than that, I can't lose my mind. 
And if we're encouraged to take every thought captive and we're encouraged in Philippians 4 verse 8 to think about things that are noble and true and trustworthy, then the question is, is, is the hobby that I'm taking part in or the people that I'm enjoying this hobby with, are they, are they adding to the value of my relationship with God? Or in some ways, are they a stumbling block in my relationship to God? Because if your countenance and things is changing, then friends, it's very difficult to say this is a good gift from God. Make sense? And so that's a great question to ask yourself is, am I having self-control? Is my language changing? All things to think about. But more than that, the key is, is that if we're going to enjoy leisure and hobbies, we've got to know they're a good expression of God. And not only are they good gifts, hey, we should delight in them, enjoy them. But friends, be careful, be careful not to distort it. And don't allow it to become a, lazy, a lousy God. And don't become lazy in seeking something that won't find and ultimately give you true fulfillment. Because true fulfillment only comes when you pursue Christ and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be what? Added to you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your word would encourage our hearts. And I pray as we just think about these areas, Lord, I pray that the conviction that we sense is from you. And, and I pray, the Lord, that you would help us to ask great questions, not in the means of making us feel guilty and dirty or ashamed, but as a means of causing growth and as a means of helping us reflect and point ourselves back to you. Because God, you are a great and good God and you give good, good and excellent gifts. Every gift we have is from you. And it's, it's a great thing. Lord, I pray that as we enjoy whatever it is you put in our lives, that we would reflect your glory and the good around us, that we would rejoice in you and that we would delight in knowing you. But Lord, help us, God, not to slowly drift away and to make those things cheap substitutes for who you are in our lives. We praise you, we thank you, and love you. In your name we pray, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, amen.